So starting off with the reminder of Pachubana Tamma here and now. So at this, uh, you know, as we, as the uh, Martha ends in the different uh, activities, people coming and going, Katinas traveling. But wherever you are, it's always Pachubanandhamma, if you're on an airplane or in a monastery in Australia or England is uh, Pachubanandhamma. So this uh, sati is keep keep this in mind, you know, whether you're bathing or putting on your robes or <coughs> in a state of misery and anguish over personal problems. It's always this reference, Pachubana Dhamma, that brings us, that reminds us. <coughs> Or here and now, puto, uh, being the knowing, being this that knows. And so these are the challenges we have in in practice, you know. In patipata, is to is to uh, keep using what wherever we are, whoever we're with, whatever way we're feeling being the puto knowing the Dhamma rather than this person in Australia, this monk in Thailand, this nun in England or whatever. It's not, I mean, these are the conventions. And but this grasp, these kind of attitudes always create this, reinforce the Sakaya Ditti. And then to really examine when when you create when you operate from sakya ditti, you know, so you begin to see uh, the <clears throat> result of operating from sakya ditti is like this. Now, in, you know, in this in monastic life, just when you're suffering, when you feel uh, disrespected or unhappy or doubtful or <clears throat> angry or resentful or whatever. This is the first noble truth, and it, then it's to to be able to see that in terms of from this pachubanatama rather than uh, seeing it in the worldly term sakyaditi, you and me, how it should be, it's not fair. Uh, I want it to be otherwise. So Sakya Ditti is the self. You create the self through grasping <coughs> memories. Uh, we all have our own memories, uh, ideas, uh, identities, 
everything, you know, is when grasped, you know, we then we become a person. So if we grasp the, like being a male or a female, then we become that way. <clears throat> like one of the problems in the society is a strong sense of of women's rights and the sense of being a woman is so powerful at this time, you know, that it it becomes one's whole life is to stand up for women and to uh, to you feel feel like you're betraying your own gender if you're out, out there, you know, standing up for women's rights. This is one example. It affects us all because it's uh, the, the the feeling of the time. And so it's not that it's anything wrong with it, but it is a perception. You know, this, it is a condition that creates this sense of this is what I am and I have to stand up for myself. We also have this sense of personal integrity. You know, our personal, our principles and our integrity, <clears throat> which can be based on, you know, high standards and ideals. But it also creates a sense of me and mine, my principles, my integrity, my gender, even applying it to my tradition or my position. Whatever, you know, this uh, possessive pronoun my attaches to, you become, you, you create Sakya Ditti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikicha with it. Now the, the, Mindfulness is being aware of this. It's not that, you know, we're condemning this or judging it, but noticing the result of being attached to conditioned phenomena is like this. Now this is, you know, Puto, the refuge in in this knowing, this intuitive awareness. <clears throat> so it's, uh, what does it feel like to be somebody with high principles and a strong sense of rights and du and privileges and fairness and and all the rest, you know, duties, responsibilities. Being a teacher, being senior. You know, so then this is, we can observe this. You know, be the knower of this. I am, I'm, I'm senior monk, I'm responsible is like this. I'm a teacher of the Dhamma, so I am very responsible. And, and and so this whole sense, and this is, you know, it's not criticizing, it's just noticing the result of being attached to these roles or positions or concepts is like this. Now when I do that, you know, then I, I do feel 
it brings up my karma, the sense of myself uh, as being somebody that has to do something, has to perform, has to set an example, has a, has to be responsible, has to be accountable, can't let the group down, got to be there, got to perform my duties. There's so much of this got to and should and must. And noticing this, what this does to your consciousness when you're caught in the, in this sense of how things should and must and me and what I should be doing and what, and when I can't do it, then I feel guilty, I feel worthless. You know, when you get sick and you're, you're kind of helpless, you can feel, at least I can, the experience is a sense of, I can't perform my duties anymore. I'm letting the group down because I'm sick. Or feel, you know, guilty. And as you get older, you know, old people, we suffer from the fact that we can't do what we, what we used to. Because the sakaditi is set when you're young, you know, you, you, you get all, you know, your condition, your ego's conditioned while you're young. And if you never, have any perspective on it, you know, you're still stuck with this, with this perception of yourself and cultural conditioning and duties, responsibilities, rights, <clears throat> ideals, principles. Till you, you know, you, it's, it's all, it'll follow you to your grave unless you get Alzheimer's and forget it all. But in, um, like in Vipassana meditation, this getting to the root of the problem, you know, suffering and its causes. This is Yoniso Manasikara, this Pali word, getting to, to where it all begins. Where does this sense of me and mine begin? Where does it arise from? And so this is, and this can only be <clears throat> recognized through awareness. You know, it's not about thinking or analyzing about how things should be or, or figuring it out, you know, the, the method or the technique, but actually doing it. So it's in the here and now, the Pachubhanatama, awareness, mindfulness, where then the, you begin to, you know, to, to create yourself as a separate person, a personality, is, takes, you have, you have to touch to <clears throat> thinking, the thinking process. So there's in, you know, in, say, at this very moment sitting here, listening to the sound of silence, which is present here and now, Then it's like the, the thinking mind stops. I'm just listening, poised attention. 
But it's not like a, a, a kind of uh, um, being lost in it, absorption in some kind of peaceful state. So it's not a, a kind of absorption into into some uh, object, but it's it's this poised attentiveness, the point of intersection between the timeless and time. Just this. And then I can create myself. I'm Ajahn Sumato and I'm... <laughs> and I have to think I'm Ajahn Sumato because this, this pure awareness does not say anything. <clears throat> it's not saying you are Ajahn Sumato. In order to become Ajahn Sumato, I have to start thinking I'm Ajahn Sumato. And then, but that's why establishing this sense of presence your presence, so you you recognize it, you know it, and then you can come from that pure presence, the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, where you can see the created, the born, the conditioned, because the self is created, born, it's conditioned. So this pure presence is empty so you can call it sunyata or emptiness it's anatta non-self because it's not personal it's non-judgmental it's not saying how things should or shouldn't be but it is intelligent you know it's, it's a direct knowing it's uh, Intuition. It's discerning. And, and so like the, the discerning part is, say, contrast the word discern with discrimination. The English word discrimination. Now that is about thinking. Discrimination is saying this is Bigger, smaller, better, worse, yellow, blue, male, female. That's discrimination. And that's the thinking process and identity with condition phenomena. So when, when we don't have this discerning ability, when we forget that, then we're caught in our discrimination, our, which always alienates us because there's always an opposite to whatever you think you are you always have its opposite to deal with so it's, it's like conflict and loneliness and despair and disappointment and grief, sorrow, despair and anguish arise from this illusion of separateness of me and mine So discrimination is about about conditioned phenomena. So it's not about the unconditioned is better than the conditioned. And that's what I, you know, the, the, the thinking mind will do that and say, 
the unconditioned is better than the conditioned, which gives us this sense of, uh, you know, of having to kind of destroy the conditioned and just, you know, this idea of maybe just staying in this, I want to stay in a perpetual state of the unconditioned is is missing the whole point. You're getting, you know, you're you're figuring it out on the conceptual level only, but not having any insight, not practicing, not not uh, being mindful. Maybe you understand the theory. So being this this unconditioned awareness, Bhuto seeing Dhamma the way it is, is is using these concepts not for identity or grasping, but for reminding, remembering, discerning. So discernment then is this knowing, the conditions and the unconditioned. Now knowing the unconditioned Then once you, you know, that, that's, we're not used to that. We're conditioned to know about conditions. You know, about how this should, how life should be, how <clears throat> this is better, worse, this is good, this is evil, this is right, and that's wrong, moral and immoral, good and bad, friends and enemies and on and on like this. This is uh, discrimination. And the discrimination then, if we just operate from from discrimination, then we we can get the idea of the unconditioned, but we, you know, we we see it from from conceptual terms only. We get the idea of it, in other words. But the reality of it, that takes this Pachubhanatamma, uh, really, Yoniso Manasika, getting to the root, being aware, awake, aware, is like this. So then this sound of silence is how, what I've used to, for this vibration. Just re- using that as a reference point. Not making it into anything. You know, what is it? Is it the unconditioned? Is it consciousness? Uh, going into endlessly trying to figure it out. You're back into that realm of uh, <clears throat> discrimination again, wanting a name for it. But it is what it is. It's usable. It's uh, practical. Because it works, so you you refer to it, remember it. And then the, then the, the conditions can be seen, you know, like like the sense of listening to the your sakyaditi, getting to know it in all its various uh, permutations, manifestations. Like this, just the desire, wanting. I want this. I don't want that. Why? 
the whinging tendency. Why does the life have to be like this? Why can't we all just get along? You know, why can't we, why do, why do the nuns have to be like that? Why do the monks, why do men have to be that way? Why can't we just be nice, respect each other? And so then, then we, <coughs> we listen to the, the kind of whinging, uh, complaining mind. Why can't, uh, the conditioned realm be what I want it to be as an ideal. Or somebody else, you think, why does that person have to be like that? Why do, you know, he should be more uh, compassionate. He's not compassionate, he's too critical. And so we, you know, we criticize, we gossip, we, we uh, dwell on each other's faults or the things we don't like. And so we're lost into that uh, sangsara. So this word sangsara is that, you know, this kind of conditioned phenomena, you know, operating, rising, ceasing, being born and dying. <coughs> and you can't get any perspective on it from that level. I mean, you're just lost in the, in this whirlpool, this vortex of changing conditions. You know, one is just hopelessly propelled around, thrown about by the changing conditions. You know, just how emotionally, just observe how emotionally you can be thrown about just, you know, in just a few seconds. Somebody says, you're the greatest Buddhist uh, teacher that's ever lived, and then happy, and then you're a um, snot-nosed monster, and then you feel angry, depressed. Somebody called me snot-nosed. <laughs> now that is, a, that's the limit. I can't even. <laughs> Monster's all right. But <laughs> you know, just watching, you know, emotionally how, how, you know, how vulnerable I am as a person. And, and it's, that's where seeing that, you know, being able to observe that, how, how emotional, uh, you know, being attached to wanting everything, wanting respect and everybody to be nice to each other and understanding and all that. Then by <clears throat> attaching to those ideals, then we're, we're always going to be disappointed. We've set ourselves up for our disillusionment. Because it's not like that. The world is not like that. It's, 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 it's a budget, it's this, this poly word meaning 
conditions arise and cease according to other conditions. So, so you can't control that. You can't force everybody to be nice and, uh, and, and, and stay that way. Because conditions sometimes are, you know, everybody's in harmony, but, but that's not generally the case. There are peak moments of conditioned experience, but, and, and, but then if we're not aware, then that creates the desire for that all the time. I want just one peak moment after another. I want just a procession of continuous experience of peak moments. And, and we realize that the conditioned phenomena can't do that for us. You know, it's just impossible for it to to sustain itself at peaks, at its best. But what is sustainable is awareness. And this is like Pachubana Dhamma. You know, because it's here and now all the time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of remembering, of recognizing. So then, once we have that as our refuge, then we can deal with the changing conditions that we're experiencing physically, good health, bad health, success, failure, good fortune, bad fortune, praise and blame, happiness, suffering. We can bear with, you know, we've got this ability to bear with all kinds of adversity and and uh, and horror, you know, you talk to people who've been in, you know, who've had uh, kind of survive in prison camps or, or horrible situations or terrible chronic illnesses. And if they're just caught in self-pity or wishing it otherwise, they're, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, they're just miserable, wretched, neurotic, screwed up individuals. <clears throat> Complaining and bitter because life hasn't been good to them. Or being able to, to uh, find that, to recognize through this awareness, this knowing from intuitive awareness where then we can bear with whatever our karma might bring to us. Whether it's pain, physical pain, or humiliation, misfortune, fame, or blame, or whatever. All these conditions, you know, the conditions are bearable if we have this perspective on them. But if we don't, then we are uh, kind of helpless victims of fate. If life goes well, we're, we, can, we can feel very happy or secure, but then it's subject to change, unexpected change. So in the news, you know, they had these terrible earthquakes and uh, tsunamis in the Pacific and Sumatra, where they think a thousand or maybe several thousand people have died through just horrible uh, underwater earthquakes which create these tidal waves 
and suddenly, you know, your daily life is suddenly you find everything washed away and your life, you know, all that you <clears throat> treasure and depend on for your sense of well-being and happiness has been suddenly removed, taken away. Well, what would that feel like? You know, if you're, if you're, uh, if your dependency was on, on having, you know, family, job, situation, all kind of, and this is, then you could feel happy and secure. But, and also, it's a good, it's a, like a David Dude, it's a sign, isn't it, of the danger. This realm is dangerous. It's subject to change. And changes that we can't even anticipate or think about. Like the uh, natural catastrophes, tsunamis, earthquakes. Hurricanes, and on and on like that. Then there's the wars. You know, that you hear about, you know, the... the um, in Pakistan or Afghanistan, uh, kind of, you know, trying to get rid of the vicious, nasty, evil forces, the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda, you know, so they send in missiles to destroy, uh, you know, these villains, but in the process, they, they seem to kill everyone else but that. You know, and it's, and it's justified, nationally justified as, you know, to, and, and yet you think of all those people or, or mothers who've seen all their children killed off, what that would be like while we're sitting here in this nice ethereal Amravati. This is going on, you know, in Sumatra, in Afghanistan, people really faced with, with horror. And, and things that are, you know, really important to them are being destroyed. And it's not right, it's not fair. And that's the discrimination. It isn't fair, it's not right. There's no way you can... I can say that that is the right thing to do. You know, my own sense of morality and respect for life does not, cannot support and say that using that way is, is right to do. It's immoral, basically, from a Buddhist perspective. So that's discrimination. But then discernment is being able to see that in myself. How I can get myself very indignant and angry over the injustices and the brutality that I hear about through the media. And so this is like, discernment is discerning. It's like this, feeling indignant and angry. It's not saying... It's not discriminating against it, it's observing it. When I get indignant and angry about the injustices in the society, it's like this. And then it, it gives me that perspective of discerning it. It is what it is. 
It's not, it's not saying judging, it's merely recognizing. Feeling angry about injustice is like this. Now if I attach to that anger and indignation, then I become an indignant, angry person. And then that indignant, angry person is, uh, is how I perceive, I can spend, you know, my life just being angry about the injustices and unfairnesses of the society of the world around me. <clears throat> being on a very kind of high horse, a righteous indignation level, of, you know, which is, you're not saying it's wrong, but it is suffering when you really look at it. Being indignant about injustice is when attached to, without recognition, without understanding, then one is uh, quite miserable. Blaming, hating those people that are the problem that you see as the enemy or the causes of suffering. Because uh, that's the dualistic structure of samsara. Right, wrong, good, bad, moral, immoral. You see, so what the Buddha emphasizes is mindfulness, which brings us to a position where we have perspective on the conditions. And then through recognizing that, you know, getting to the source, like the Third Noble Truth, the Naroda Satya, is, you know, that comes through seeing the causes, the suffering that, you, that one creates through grasping desires. You can't just wipe out the conditioned realm into a blank nothing. It's not sticking your head into the sand or putting a blindfold over your eyes and plugging up your ears. It's, uh, you know, it's about discerning. And this is, this discernment allows us to, to learn from experience. What is the, you know, the, the conditions that we have to live with, the bodies that we have, the, the, the people we live with, the society we're in, the country we live in is like this. We can, you know, so it's not, you know, being caught in in resentment, in anger, and attachment, and and when, when we everything's going right, wanting to keep that security, everything's okay, because we recognize that conditioned phenomena is unstable. Its very nature is anicca. What offers stability is awareness. And this, is, this is like the third noble truth. Nirodha Satcha is recognizing empty, the empty unconditioned reality. Recognizing. They call it realizing. The reality is this. This is real. This unborn, uncreated, uncreated. This is reality. And so it's like 
having insight. Reality is this. This poised attentiveness in the present moment before the self arises. Or where you can get perspective, you can see the pain you're feeling or the, the, the emotional stress you might be experiencing as an object, as an aramana, <clears throat> rather than operating through grasping, through struggling, resistance, attachment. See, so this is, this is, uh, wisdom, panya, satipanya, discerning. So knowing, discerning self from non-self, atta from anatta. Atta or self cannot, you know, it, it, it gets totally confused by trying to understand anatta. Because the self is all about me and mine and my thought and my memories and my views and my feelings, my body, <clears throat> how things should and shouldn't be. So it has no, it can't have any perspective, it can't recognize uh, anatta. Like Lung Po Cha used to say, if you think about anatta, you, your, your, your brain will blow up, will explode. <clears throat> You try to figure out anatta, you know, just conceptually. So it's not, so you know, we're not trying to believe that we don't have a self. You know, if you're a Buddhist, you, you don't have any self and you should believe in that. That's still self. Atta is self. But anatta is, you know, the, from this awareness. This awareness then, Pachubhananthama is aware of the self. So I can listen to, to this sense of me and mine and my principles and my integrity and my view and my position, my right. I can be aware of, 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 you know, of how much I criticize myself. I shouldn't, I should. I shouldn't be selfish. I should be more compassionate than I am sometimes. I shouldn't be this way or that way. Now that awareness is uh, of that, you know, is the, is the anatta. That which is aware of atta is anatta. But anatta is imminent in the Pachupanatama. It's now. It's not trying to become a non-self. But recognizing, realizing this empty, poised moment and learning to trust it. Totally trust, surrender to it, 
So in, in, say in my own practice, I, I had this insight many years ago, surrender to this, trust it totally. And then, of course, over the years, I've been challenged in all kinds of ways. <clears throat> you know, from the, uh, person, the eight worldly dhammas, the uh, changing conditions, you know, where doubt and indignation and fear and jealousy and envy and disappointment and despair Cold hopes swarm like worms within this living clay. <laughs> and, and then this this practice of trusting this. And sometimes, you know, the, the self doesn't want to trust. I want to, you know, this is important. This I just can't let go of. I've got to, you know, I've got to hang on to this because Condition phenomena can do that. It's very intimidating, very convincing, especially righteousness and principles and and uh, things like this. You know, they're so right and so true and must and should and me and mine suddenly become, you know, more important than trusting this, which doesn't seem like anything. In terms of worldly values, so it's it's recognizable, it's 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 knowing, but to recognize is is awareness, it's this. And then as you you recognize it, that's the insight into cessation, Naroda Satcha. Then the insight, you know, there is cessation of conditions. And then the, the Bhattipata part, the second aspect of that noble truth is it should be realized. So that's the prescription, that's the Bhattipata part. You know, practice, it should be realized. Now what does that mean in terms of here and now, realized? It's reality. Keep trusting, referring Surrendering to it, listening, adoring it, respecting it. It's just, it doesn't seem like anything, but it, it's certainly recognizable and, and the, the thinking mind will distrust it, put all kinds of doubts into your mind. So that's the Wichikicha. When you start thinking about it, you'll just be caught in doubt. So, that's like the third fetter, which he keeps a doubt. So, in, in, and that's where this, these three fetters are so, you know, useful references for, you know, really examining, observing, your, your, you know, the conditions that you're experiencing. So, like this is the then stream entry, Sotapanna, is having penetrated those three fetters. Not you've, you've not destroyed them. You've not kind of 
you know, killed yourself off, or, but you recognize self. You know what, you discern it, you know what it is, and the results of attaching to it. There's a knowing, insight, knowledge. And you're aware of all the kind of assumptions that, that you've been making about the world and yourself, the cultural attitudes, the conventions. Monastic conventions as well as cultural ones. Well, like clinging to monastic conventions with Sakyaditi, what happens? If we're monks and nuns out of Sakyaditi, and then, in, you know, then we grasp the conventions, and they become, and then we operate from our interpretation of those conventions. <coughs> or ideals, like culturally, you know, culturally, modern culture in this country sees that uh, the, these conventions are old-fashioned. Modern ideals are better, you know, of gender equality and fairness and uh, human rights, rights and everything. These are, these should dominate over the convention because this uh, Vinaya is an old-fashioned, ancient, you know, made up by and probably distorted and corrupted by monks over time, you know, through corrupt monks. Then you get, uh, uh, you know, wrong views and Vinaya develops into a structure of exploitation and, and uh, no longer useful. So we can criticize it or we can just blindly attach to it. It has to be. But both, you know, whether one scheme or the other, if it's Sakyaditi, what is the result of grasping the convention totally without, you know, seeing the grasping? Or gr looking at it from the critical mind, from one's personal uh, reactions to restraint, to to structures, to hierarchy, to uh, the, the structure of Vinaya, how one personally, uh, you know, can be very critical and, and uh, you know, we can see a lot of things we don't like about it. And we can also imagine how it should be. You know, if we were perfect, monastic community, monks and nuns equal in every way, living in perfect harmony is, you know, an ideal. It's a beautiful ideal. But it is that. It's not Dhamma. And so, like this, this tradition is, um, it's a traditional form. So it's about you know, and if you if you if you change it according to how you're feeling or particular fashions of the time or modern values, then it's no longer part of a tradition. It loses its potency. <clears throat> and the value of a tradition is that it has survived through so many 
you know, 2,500 years. And it's learning how to use this tradition, this Dhamma, this Vinaya, for liberation. That's the whole point of this community, is liberation. Is, you know, the, and that only you can do yourself, you know, and we can't make anyone liberated. <clears throat> but the, this is, so these reflections are more or less encouraging you to use the tradition and, and how it does affect you. You know, I'm not trying, you have to have a kind of love it in all its aspects and blindly surrender, kind of passively resign yourself to uh, Vinaya as some kind of, you know, kind of uh, negative resignation to a convention. But it's using the convention to observe one's sakyaditi, how one, one maybe gets very rigid. It has to be like this under all conditions. And anyone who doesn't do it like this is a shameless alachi monk. So in Thailand, you know, in Wat Bapong, they get into this, you know, calling uh, all the, you know, you get very kind of, this is how it should be, and then monks that don't keep the Vinaya in the same way, see, we call them alachi, which in Pali word for shameless. Well, observing how this affects consciousness, seeing, you know, seeing myself as pure in Vinaya and someone else as a lachi, is that is that wisdom or is that a self-view? Is that sakaya ditti? And so, like, and then then I can go the opposite stream. I don't want to be like those those proud, arrogant monks that think they're better than the rest. And that's still the same thing. It's still Sakya Ditti. So it's not about, you know, trying to be generous and kind as an ideal and, and compassionate and liberal and understanding as another form of Sakya Ditti, but learning how to use the Vinaya for awareness. Liberation, rather than seeing it as, as a personal kind of oppression. Now that takes awareness, because the, 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 uh, you know, why did, I've heard people criticize, they say the Buddha taught the Dhamma, but his, his ability to make rules was pathetic. So I've heard, monks, you know, Western monks, not Thai, <laughs> say this. That he was a good, he was a good at teaching the Dhamma, but as a rule maker, he was wasn't any good. The Vinaya's a waste of time. So I've heard this, you know, because you know, on Dhamma level, everything, you know, doesn't doesn't matter. All conditions are impermanent, not self. It's true. You know, uh, keeping the rules and the Sekya rules and the Bajitya and Sangadi Sesa and all this, you can, 
It's just, you know, it's just, you know, conditioned phenomena like anything else. But then the Buddha, before he died, said, I leave you Dhamma Vinaya. Now why, why didn't he just say, I leave you the Dhamma? Go forth and realize the truth. It was very inspiring. But also he, he, he put in this word Vinaya, which is convention. Now it's, now this is a, this is a, you know, this is the convention that, that he left us. To, for, to use for Dhamma. So we have a very, it's a, you know, if used properly, it, it works. Because it really will awaken you to the subtleties of, of self-views, of emotional attachments, of assumptions we make about life and others in the world we live in. Of, it gets to the source. Because there's a part of us that doesn't like rules. There's a rebellious, a kind of uh, arrogant uh, conceit in human beings. Doesn't want to surrender, doesn't want to give up things. Wants to get one's way. Thinks we know better. I can say, you know, I've seen this in myself, I I know better. And then listening to, to that in myself that says, I know better than this, this Vinaya is like this. So then in, in the present moment, <clears throat> the robe, looking at the robe, and always the, you know, the, the, uh, material robe that I wear helps. This is this part of the mindfulness is being aware of time and place and the convention that is, that one is using. It's not about throwing it out anymore, but learning to recognize the, the kind of restraint on the action and speech level that I've uh, committed myself to, surrendered to, given, so like those seeking bapacha upasampada, this is, you know, to, to know what you're getting into and how to use the situation. Because we can come into the Sangha with, you know, we usually come in full of sakya ditti. <clears throat> Me and mine, and I want to become a monk, I want to be a nun, I want to live the holy life, I want, uh, you know, it can be very altruistic. I want to be free from all selfishness and uh, want to help save all sentient beings. We could be so bodhisattva, altruists. So it's not, you know, it's not discriminating against that, but recognizing so the, the Anagarika, wealth also, the Thilidara, Samanera, and Bhikkhu forms, these are for awareness, not for identity. They're conventions to be used to remind rather than conventions to be identified with. The Vinaya is a structure 
conventional form that we don't tamper with. We can adapt and change, you know, in some ways, but the basic structure has to remain. Otherwise, it's no longer a tradition. It becomes something else. Becomes Ajahn Sumatoism, or it becomes British Buddhism, or it becomes Amravati Buddhism, modern Buddhism. Now, there's plenty of opportunities for people to do those things. Now there's no there's no authority to to compel anyone to become Theravadan Buddhists or Samanas. You know you're all free to go out and start your own cult if you want. There's nobody going to you know prevent you from doing it. You can have your own form of Buddhism. And and that's what many do, you know. You've got all kinds of Buddhist uh, variations, permutations on the Buddhist theme, just in England. So it's not like you know where at one time, you know, in England, if you were Roman Catholic, you got burned at the stake or beheaded, <laughs> you know, when they were under. Henry VIII, <laughs> where, you know, you just, Roman Catholics were, you know, persona non grata, and you didn't just tolerate them, you, you butchered them. So, <laughs> but nowadays, there's nobody going to do that, you know, you can be complete heretic. New Age Buddhism, based on the highest principles and Ideals, and so, so that there's, you know, this is it's not no, nothing to say you have to do it this way. But this this is a traditional form, and this is where, you know, I'm making this emphasis because sometimes modern people don't understand the value of tradition. We tend to be critical of them, old-fashioned dead, empty forms, Colonel Blimp. You know, I think some of you think I'm a Colonel Blimp character. You know, he's just out of touch with the times, that old guy up on a seat, you know, just not with it. He doesn't, you know, he's been a monk for so long and in a forest monastery, he hasn't been awake to the new, new feeling of the time and because during the 60s, when all these, you know, when, when I became a monk, feminism was not an issue. And I was, you know, in Berkeley, California, where, <clears throat> which is uh, where everything begins. <laughs> and in the Peace Corps, you know, my friend Donna, who's a, who really, you know, is angry with me for not making you all equal and bikunis. You know, she wasn't like that before. And then, uh, and so then she thinks, you know, here, a tomato's been lost in the forest monastery, doesn't know what's happening, poor old guy. And he's just trying to hang on 
probably out of male fear, probably trying to face his, you know, these kind of fears of women or something. You know. He's just so kind of conditioned by Thai forest tradition and male uh, stubbornness and arrogance. But in the, so this is uh, this can you can look at me like that. That old British movie called uh, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Maybe <laughs> too young to remember that one. That was very good. English film. About uh, a British uh, military man who, who yeah, I think he was modeled after Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> From the, from the old times when, when the British, uh, military, you know, it had a purpose, had a nobility, had the honor. And the British officer, you know, was an honorable gentleman of the highest order. And you had your, and, and, and all European warriors at that time were, had this gentleman's agreement. So even the First World War, there was a sense of honor, you know, uh, between German, officers and British officers and French officers and it was a kind of uh, cultural thing of the warrior and the gentleman with the saber and all that and then of course weapons, bombs, the whole the whole uh, changing of the uh, war through World War One, World War Two, and onward you know where this kind of mentality doesn't work anymore. You know you you go, you know, the idea of a gentleman, uh, a colonel in the British Army, would not be responsible for the slaughter of all these uh, villagers in Pakistan or whatever. <clears throat> so, I mean, it, it is rather noble, and then that sense of nobility and, and uh, unable to, to face the, the changes of modern warfare. Now the nobility, and this is what, you know, so then we have to adapt to modern warfare, which means we have to make all kinds of moral compromises to, to be able to do it now, like torture, you know, of, um, the America, the Bush administration was, uh, you know, saying various forms of what we would call torture are not really torture. They're the kind of sophistry of <laughs> because the in modern warfare we're fighting the Al Qaeda, which means that we can use any means to do that. And of course, we don't believe in torture, but we believe in what intensive interrogation, or <laughs> they have euphemisms for these, you know, because tortured. We all, I mean, anybody says they're for torture. I mean, they're doomed, doesn't it? So you've got to call it something else. <laughs> that doesn't sound so bad. And that's how we play games. We aren't aware of what actually is going on in our mind. How we can justify, uh, you know, what was once considered torture in the name of protecting the country.
and then we vilify and demonize the the opposite to a point where it's only the right thing to do. You can do anything you want with those with Osama bin Laden. He's a total devil. So I mean, being human, humane, or anything or moral about it is not the issue. You know, it should just destroy him. So there's a logic to that. But the awareness, the, the awareness of this. So it's not trying to just hang on to tradition for tradition's sake. But using the tradition, this Dhamma, this Vinaya, for awakened awareness. Does it work for you? You have to find out for yourself. Can you use it? Is it helping you? Now, if you find you can't bear it, then, then uh, you know, look at that. I can't bear this. I can't stand this. It's like this. And if you really believe it, then go find some other place where you ca- that you can stand. But, but my encouragement is to really look at that. I can't stand this because I've looked at this in myself and inner voices. I can't stand this. But I can't stand it, because that's awareness. At least I'm not, you know, the, the protection we all have is the vinaya. You know, you're living in a community where we have a high moral standard, you know, uh, in terms of speech and action. We can't, uh, you know, abuse or harm or destroy or each other in, you know, the Vinaya is about, you know, moral agreement, restraint, forms of etiquette, of respect. To make, to, 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 once we surrender to that and accept that, then we can really get down to the nitty gritty of our own karma. You know, the way we are, the resistance, the resentment, the, how, how this tradition, how this form affects our consciousness. That's where the, it really is important. You know, not to become a card-carrying Theravadan Buddhist. It's not asking you to, to wave a flag, but to use the structures for awakened attention, for discernment. So you can be free from suffering. Now freedom from suffering is discerning. Like through this awareness in the present, you can actually, you know, begin to see suffering and non-suffering. Discern the difference. Discerning the difference. Suffering is like this, non-suffering is this. Now, non-suffering doesn't mean that I don't feel anything or I don't have unpleasant mental states or physical ones. But, uh, but there's a, a discerning of those. You know, trust in this awareness, in this stillness, uh, this 
silence that sustains itself, constancy, if it sticketh to the constancy of the supernal mind, if it sticketh to the constancy, the continuity of the supernal mind that needs not move, it is superior to the necessity of faith. <clears throat> so the feeling, you know, emotional feeling, physical sensation, sense experience, is the necessity of faith. It's a vipaka kamma that we have in the present. It's like this. Now if I really trust and relax and surrender into this supernal mind or this stillness, That, 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 you know, this is non-suffering. Even if, uh, you know, emotionally I'm still feeling something unpleasant. But I have to really trust it and keep, because uh, emotions are always pulling us out into making us believe our emotions are, are the priority. It's keeping remembering this and, and determining to trust Trust in this way is like real sadha in Pali. It's sadha with banya, wisdom. <clears throat> and and then the then we don't make a problem around the conditions. So we can bear with the conditions that we might think I can't bear it. It's not fair. I just cannot stand this. I've had enough. Is like this. And that which is aware of, I've fed up, I've had enough, is not that way. So this is what I trust, not that that voice, that Sakyadini says, I've had enough, I'm fed up. I don't trust that, even though I'm still quite capable of thinking that. But I know it, it's not something I'm going to um, attach to and follow. So you're getting outside the condition, outside the gender issues, the the ideals and all that. It's not like you're getting rid of them, but you're finding liberation from the limitation of identity, of ignorance, identity. The structures we're in, you know, whether junior, senior, monk or nun, they're no longer ourselves anymore. They're merely expedient means, conventions. We no longer identify and and see ourselves always in those terms. You know, I'm junior to you or I'm senior to you. Or it's no longer a problem because uh, our refuge is in a, the supernal mind that needs not move rather than in the sense of I'm, my reality is I'm a monk I'm a nun, I'm junior, I'm senior, I'm a Mahatera, I'm an Ajahn, I'm not an Ajahn, I'm only a junior monk, I'm a mere Anagarika, <laughs> that kind of thing. And we could, we could create enormous amount of suffering around these identities. They're not meant to be the causes of, you know, to make us suffer, they're for convenience. 
expediency only. And then our moral position towards each other is is uh, honorable. So if you feel like the Bhikkhu Sangha is, uh, you know, <clears throat> senior to the Siladara Sangha and that the Siladaras can be exploited and manipulated by unscrupulous Bhikkhus, it's impossible. That's a, you know, that's how it might feel sometimes. But, you know, we, we have this Vinaya, which is about moral agreements, non-exploitation. But if you do feel, you know, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation, look at that. You know, be, you know, not saying there's anything wrong in feeling that, but that's something to observe. That which is aware of doubt or anxiety about your position is like this. And then you begin to see it, discern it as a condition rather than suppressing it or just, or believing it. So this is the, you know, this is the invitation to really get to the causes of suffering. And to let go of the causes to realize the deathless, the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned. Then there's nothing to fear. That's fearlessness. Death is no longer frightening, physical death. One can bear with the vicissitudes of life, with the unpredictable contingencies of nature with the comings and goings, changings of conditioned phenomena. 